Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, it's Sing Sing. Welcome to My First Time, a mostly sexy sex podcast from Broadly. I think the spit mostly went on my foot and then I, maybe I made him eat it and, or I spit on his cock a little bit and made him rub it in or something like this. Today on My First Time. Training a BDSM slave sounds like a lot of work, doesn't it? I find it hard enough to catch a waiter's eye in a crowded restaurant, let alone bend someone to my will. But this week's guest has become something of an expert. Even though it's not what she talks a lot about, she has given it a lot of thought. My name is Mistress Eva, and this is the story of the first time I trained a slave. It might not have come naturally to her at first, but Mistress Eva has managed to perfect the fine art of domination. So I grew up in a in more of a female-dominated household, and that was kind of my perspective in the way that I navigated the world, in a sense, and, and relationships. And I didn't really click click onto it at that point in time, but I obviously kept it in the back of my mind, just because that dimension of my character was very natural for me. So I guess when it comes to the idea of a female dominant, that was very natural. So here's a question. What is the career path of a typical slave trainer? Before Mistress Eva became a BDSM professional, she actually enjoyed a pretty successful job in business, but it wasn't one that made her happy. I was consulting for <laughs> a lot of, um, let's say, corporations that didn't quite align with my values. I reassessed things and I kind of typed into Google Dominatrix Sydney, which is what I was um, where I was at the time. And uh, I guess it was something that um, an ex-boyfriend actually sparked a few years before that. So I was just kind of feeling back into the past of the things that people had mentioned and the, the things that could have potentially been a, an interesting path. I ended up at a dungeon called Salon Kitties maybe a, a day or two later for an interview. And I started, I think, two days after that. And that was it. What does a BDSM dungeon look like? Underground, bars over the windows whips and chains everywhere, in a word, intimidating. Or maybe I'm just thinking of the London dungeon. The thing that I really didn't expect and that other people don't expect when they hear it from me is that I was most nervous about the waiting room, really, which is um, 
being around all of the other mistresses. That was, uh, I'm not sure exactly what it was. I mean, I am not such a social person already, so maybe that had a lot to do with it. But it was just quite the experience, being in a small confined room with sometimes up to 20 extremely, um, <laughs> uh, how would you say this? Very strong personalities in a small space. And I think that's probably what made me the most nervous because you had to be kind of on your toes in, in a sense. And it was incredible because you got to learn so much just from the things that she said, she said, they said in passing or from the tools that they were picking up and kind of playing around with before their sessions. But I think um, it's probably something about wanting to live up to the expectations and to not kind of fail the house that that kind of made me the most nervous about it, which is probably speaking to something about how hard I am on myself personally, rather than the experience in itself. I'm not sure if I necessarily had so many preconceptions walking into the dungeon for the first time. I guess when I heard the word dungeon, it was it was of interest, obviously, and it was more curiosity. And the thing is that I, I have a history also of kind of gathering a little bit of a maybe even more of an emotional attachment to trying out something and I kind of sit with that and I follow that so the, there's not necessarily that a lot of things that can come in that bear down on me in terms of preconception so I was quite open which I think really helped me kind of dive into it really quickly without being blindsided by something that I thought was it was going to be. Now I find applying for a new job intimidating enough without worrying if I'm being sized up to work in a dungeon. But Mistress Eva's job interview was actually a lot more straightforward than I thought it would be. <laughs> there was an interview process when it came to getting into the dungeon. First, I think I met with a receptionist and I met the headmistress and headmaster. So basically the mistress that owned the space along with her partner. And they brought me into one of the many rooms that was there. The, there was two dungeons and a cross-dressing room and a couple of other softer rooms, a medical room. But they brought me into the office, which looked, it was everything was incredibly dark and there were drapes and um, a fireplace. And uh, they, they sat me down on this green kind of pleathery couch thing. And they, they sat right opposite me next to the desk. And they just asked me a lot of things that didn't necessarily have to do with BDSM, whether I'd been in the sex industry before, whether I did full service, which is um, penetrative sex on me, and a few other questions. And we didn't really get into any depth. And then they just asked me um, whether I could start in the next couple of days. And I was a bit surprised. And they said that you're, we're not ever going to be able to tell unless you actually come in and you're here for two weeks. And then, you know, we'll put you on the site because once you're here for two weeks, you're probably in. And so I came back a couple of days later and uh, I'd requested for a, a book list. So I'd read a couple of books in that time as well. <laughs> and um, I just uh, went into the waiting room and uh, I sat and first I met all the established mistresses there. I think there were maybe three or four that had been there for one was had been there for, I don't know, maybe 10 years. And I was quite terrified. They were all obviously very watchful of the, the new um, apprentice I, I was at the time and curious also and they all had a, a very particular strength about them there was a curiosity and a little bit of suspicion but also there's very much standing their ground and I, I that was quite intimidating but at the same time incredibly fascinating and bit by bit throughout the day they 
started to ask if I would be interested to come into their session. It's kind of a tradition to bring in an apprentice um, onto your sessions to help you, I don't know, tie somebody up, hold something, put something here, put something in there. Um, and maybe they'll give you a tip, maybe they won't, but either way, it's it's a part of your process of learning. And so my first was um, by a mistress who had been there for a very long time. I think she was doing her PhD in virology or something like this. And she had a client who wanted a mummification and electrics session. And I didn't know actually what either of those things meant, but she said, okay, I'll call down and da -da -da, she's gone up. She calls down, I go up, I have no idea what to do. The room is pitch black. It's the hugest dungeon in the house. And there's this guy laying down on the stretcher, totally naked. <laughs> and she just says, get the saran wrap, which is like, um, how do you say, cling wrap. And so, so I'm, I'm panicking. I don't know what the saran wrap is. And she's commanding me to do something. And then I finally get pointed in a proper direction. And I get the saran wrap and she, she, and I, get, I hand it to her and she starts to unfurl it, but this is industrial size saran wrap. This is, I don't even know how large that is almost like a meter wide. And she says, okay, take this section. And I, I just take it. And she's, and then we start wrapping the guy <laughs> and we totally cover him except for his face. I think, and she immediately digs her nails into his crotch and into his uh, nipples and creates these holes there. And all the time, she's basically purring at him. All these small little instructions and small little hints of what, what is ahead of him. It was really beautiful. And then um, she gets out this small little box, which is a, an aerostack, which is um, it's a little electrical kind of uh, current that you can uh, attach to different um, tabs and run different types of currents of electricity through them. Sometimes they have patterns. And where does she put them? She put them, I think, one each on his balls, one on his balls and one on the head of his cock. And she was just twisting, twisting it and twisting it. And he was just incredibly hard already by the time I walked in, actually. And then he starts to moan and she's just purring and purring and twisting and twisting. And that was my first kind of uh, apprentice experience with someone within, I think, the first hour of me getting to the dungeon. As of anything, you can watch someone do something a thousand times, but eventually you're still going to have to learn to do it yourself. And most of us can relate to having to learn to do something on the job. That's exactly what happened with Mistress Eva. The first time that I realised I trained a slave, it was actually with somebody who I had seen at Salon Kitties maybe maybe three times already. This is Salon Kitties is in Australia, but he was a Chinese, mainland Chinese national, and he was working in Australia. And I don't know, he probably used the name Steve or John or something like this. And he was mostly a foot fetish uh, client. So um, back then you used to come in and you used to state the things you were into and you would price the session accordingly. I do it differently now, but then it was like that. And foot fetish client, he'd, he'd kissed my feet a few times, he'd sucked on my toes a few times, and however it was. Each time he came in, he progressively asked for a little bit more, which also meant that the budget went up a bit more. So the first time it was foot fetish, and I think it was just pretty light, just a bit of tease, and like, I don't think he, he was even allowed to come during the session. And then the second time he asked for uh, foot fetish plus spitting, so he didn't specify where. Also, his English wasn't good. My Chinese is terrible. So 
uh, I think the spit mostly went on my foot and then I, maybe I made him eat it and, or I spit on his cock a little bit and made him rub it in or something like this. And then it must have been just two times because the third time he asked for <laughs> he asked for foot fetish for spitting and for verbal humiliation, which I found quite amusing because, I mean, uh, our communication skills weren't, weren't amazing seeing as we didn't speak the same native language. But I thought, okay, all right, I'll give this a go. I'll fix a few of my bad Chinese words that I know and let's see, see what happens. So he goes and he showers. I choose the room and gets everything ready and I get ready myself. And then he calls down. They call down when they're fully showered and they're, they're ready for you. And um, I walk up the stairs and I open the door to the master room. And he's done something a bit different this time with his clothes. He's folded everything beautifully, like beautifully neatly. And he's placed it behind, just behind the door, not so that the door would clip it, but just by the door and on the ground. And I, I remember he usually hung it. And something about that really triggered something in me that now I realize is this, I have a little bit of a protocol fetish. <laughs> and so it just made me really present all of a sudden. I felt really respectful of what he had done to respect me. And that just shifted because at, at this point in time, I'd, I'd just kind of been checking things off a list. You know, you want fisting, you want strap on, fine, fine, let's do it. But this time it was like I stepped into a space and somebody was saying, hey, I respect you. Please just utilize me for this hour or half an hour, I think. And he was already in the slave position, which is basically it's kind of like a fetal position, but you're, you've got your forehead on, on the ground and just, just waiting, just waiting for me to do whatever it is that I wanted to do. And from that point, it just felt like I could instruct him in a way that maybe I hadn't bothered doing with anybody else before. And so I told him to kneel up and move here and do this and suck that and lick this. And it was just like a beautiful choreography that was kind of emerging. He had the foot fetish. He wanted to be spat on and he wanted verbal humiliation. So I cannot even remember the exact configuration of everything now, but I do have a preference for spitting on my feet and getting people to lick it off or for just like shoving my toes straight into his mouth while he's on the ground or kind of restraining him down and kind of dangling my feet in front of his face, just kind of as a tease. That's another thing also, actually, probably the verbal humiliation was the big kicker because I really, really enjoy verbal humiliation. However, I didn't really get any opportunity until that point to be able to do that. So it's like all of these pieces came together for me, the, all these all these things that I really did enjoy. I don't necessarily love foot fetish, but the things around it and particularly the respect. And it brought me a lot more present into this thing that I could instruct him what I thought so beautifully into this little dance for me. But then like the, the real kicker was towards the end when he when I told him to come on my feet and then lick it off, he started to cry after he had finished licking everything off. And that had never happened to me before. Granted, I had only been there for maybe three months or something like this, but just the the power <laughs> that had kind of come into him to be able to bring out that kind of an emotion. And it was just, it was really touching for me. And I, I think at that point I realized the power that that this kind of scene and that I partaking in this scene had and that I really needed to look at it from a very holistic angle, which I, I always remember very fondly as the first time that I learned that this is 
an experience of power and an experience that can be benefited from thinking of it as a or perspective as slave training as opposed to just a session within itself. And ever since that point, I've veered more and more towards understanding this complexity and trying to encapsulate it, whether it's in a small time or in an ongoing relationship. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I know we're a sex podcast, but forget the sex for a minute. Most of us will rarely share a moment with a near-complete stranger that's so moving or powerful that we actually shed a tear. I think that speaks a lot to the fact that BDSM isn't just about physical pain or pleasure. A lot of it is about what's going on inside your head too. I can safely say that that was a turning point for me now because of everything that I have experienced. However, I didn't understand it fully then. I was seeing so many individuals and doing so many different things, I didn't necessarily have the time and the space to really understand that now I'm a dominatrix. I mean, I claimed the title as mine when I was working in that environment. However, on a personal level, I only really fully stepped into it when I could let go of that personality trait of being hard on myself, really, and just not doubting that I was capable of it. Like any other, I think, job or decision that anybody makes, you know, it's um, your confidence within yourself at that point in time. It was definitely a turning point for me to understand what I preferred most. However, it was not a defining moment in terms of me saying I'm a dominatrix now. It was probably a defining moment in terms of me doing the kind of domination that I prefer. Clearly, Mistress Eva has come a long way from her initial beginnings as a business consultant. Now, being a dominatrix is her full-time gig, and she travels everywhere from Singapore to LA and Australia for her job. But it's more than just a profession. I think Mistress Eva doesn't necessarily differ so much from my everyday persona, personality, way of thinking, way of operating. However, it's like I mentioned before, it's, it's more of a liberated space to be able to do so like these aspects that that I talk about being quite bossy and um, demanding it's a bit difficult for that to be accepted in a social environment uh, without a lot of prejudice coming up against you Um, and then also within relationships if I look at it from um, 
maybe my Western or Westernized friends having those traits are not necessarily uh, appreciated. And if not, they're, they're sidelined. They're, they're not appreciated at all. Um, so I think I tone down a lot of these things when I come when it comes to my everyday communication with other people. Essentially, it's still there. There's a lot of what I want that's in my mind, and I understand that that I kind of want them and I want them to happen next, but the way that I approach them is very different. I'm probably a lot more, I make a lot more suggestions when it comes into to my day-to-day, whereas I make a lot more demands when it comes to Mistress Eva. And if I'm honest, I would say I feel more free in a sense when I, in a session, when I get to be Mistress Eva, even amongst those closest to me in my day-to-day. What I find really interesting about Mistress Eva's story is the fact that it kind of challenges everything I thought being a dominatrix was. I assumed that being a dominatrix was about putting on an act, that you're mean, that you're bossy, that you don't like the person you're with. But actually listening to Mistress Eva, what strikes me is that she actually feels as if she's being given a license to be more herself. That actually there's something about the fact that she's a dominatrix and is being allowed to be as bossy or mean or as controlling or dominant as she wants that actually makes her feel free this job has been this job this calling this location this thing that i've chosen to experience as has been incredible for me to frame ideas of desire power and dominance in a much healthier construct than i used to i think these three words are very scary for a lot of people, including me, perhaps in a way, or maybe scary is the wrong word. I think a lot of us are taught to be scared of these words, to frame desire within a certain construct, to not necessarily think of power as a good thing, and to think that dominance in, in particular when it comes from a female is to be looked down upon and or not appreciated. So but basically, I think being able to do what I do tells me that it's up to me to decide how that works and to not let society at large dictate the way that I can own these things in my life and the way that it can be a healthy experience for me and for those that I share my life and my space with. Domination has been an incredible channel for me to experience desire, power, and dominance, as a female especially, in a way that is healthy, in a way that I am able to accept it within myself, and in a way that others can also enjoy. Thanks for listening to My First Time, a podcast from Broadly. My name is Zing Sing and I'm the UK editor. This episode was produced by Sam Bonham. If you've got ideas for future episodes, first time sex stuff, get in touch. Broadly.editor at vice.com. See you next week. <laughs>